Welcome to Converge Coffee. I'm here with Joe Sinkwitz, the co-founder and CEO of IntelliFluence. Joe has over 20 years experience in digital, digital marketing and has built SEO, content marketing, and now influencer marketing companies. He's an international speaker on topics as varied as black hat search tactics, the psychology of influence, and general business operation. He rarely sleeps and drinks too much coffee, so that's why he's here on Converge Coffee. <laughs> His company, Intellifluence, was designed to be the most economical influencer marketing SaaS from one, day one and hasn't deviated from its mission. It connects brands and their agencies with willing influencers to assist in everything from pre-launch um, market fit and product fit and social proof through branding, social sites, and SEO, including blog posts. Welcome, Joe. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? I am doing awesome. So uh, we talked about the whole record recording mess <laughs> um, earlier. Um, so now we're on a new recording software, uh, thanks to Ringer. Um, so influencer marketing. So what's new in influencer marketing and how did you start IntelliFluence? I think a lot of people want to know this. Sure. Well, I mean, well, what's new in influencer marketing is it's always sort of been around. I mean, if you if you go all the way back, Edward Bernays talked about this sort of thing in, in psychology. Ultimately, it's just getting someone to tell a story for you on your behalf. And it's just really picked up. If you go to uh, Google Trends and you type in influencer marketing, you could see that it's spiking heavily. And, and that did, uh, I wouldn't say influence my decision back when Terry and I were talking about this. But as to why I actually started Intellifluence, it was something of a mix of necessity and need. Um, the longer I end up working on Intellifluence, I realized there was a lot more to it than just the initial uh, impetus that I you know, consciously understood. There's a lot of subconscious desires that ended up coming out. But I was working with a hush-hush uh, giant uh, consumer products uh, company out in LA, and they're in a difficult space, which is problematic because they could not advertise on Facebook ads, AdWords, most display networks would turn the product away, um, and after a little bit of FDA regulation, they couldn't get into magazines and newspapers either. So, you, you know, from a marketing perspective, the best way I could get them converting traffic was to find influencers that were uh, of the demographic that would use that particular product. And that was that primary method. The problem was there was no real reasonable networks that I could find at the time. And everyone, especially out in LA, uh, they seemed to be running like a talent agency. So they would take 20% of the spend and there was just no good way to self-manage. You know, I, I do have that search background um, you know, playing with AdWords, et cetera. So I, I like the idea of being able to manage campaigns. Uh, I was not able to do that. So I ended up winding down my uh, involvement in that particular product and joining forces with Terry to kick off Telefluence. Um, there was that search background again, though. Um, I had built companies in the past. And, you know, I, I wanted to learn from my mistakes. 
uh, I am really worried about ever letting Google or another single player dictate my fortunes again. Uh, I know uh, you and I talked about it real briefly uh, several weeks back, but I used to run an affiliate and search business. We had 50 people. Um, we were looking at selling at like mid eight figures and then uh, Penguin algorithm hit. Uh, I, I will remember the date forever. I don't remember every single algo, uh, you know, date, but April 24th, 2012, wrecked the company, just completely came crashing down and inverted our profitability. Um, we can go into more detail and maybe in another time, but it really highlighted the issues of being so tied into a source. So building IntelFluence allowed me to say, okay, well, what if I build a platform that touches into all the major uh, social networks so that, and, you know, even if someone like Facebook decides to, you know, kill off influencer marketing, which they may end up doing, you never know. I know that they're starting to label uh, specifically on Instagram and, and there, there's nothing that says that they won't uh, make the next step that if you want to do it, you have to go through their ad platform to make that happen. Um, but it wouldn't kill us. It would just hurt a lot. Um, Another thing I, I, I really focused on, and this is because of SEO, is links. Um, I really understand the value of links. Like uh, we were spending a quarter million a month with text link ads, red and links, another 50K a month from Black Hat World, another 100K a month just in other networks like ALN, um, uh, the, basically like PBN networks that were not so private. So we used to spend quite a bit of money. Well, what I noticed is a lot of bloggers started joining our network. And, you know, uh, because of my contacts, a lot of our early uh, brand and signups were actually agencies. And these agencies, they didn't really care about the social part so much. They just zeroed in on, on the bloggers. They say, hey, this is a clean link source. This is not a PBN or, you know, like a hoard out list. And they just go crazy. So everything uh, for them uh, it works out really well in terms of uh, uh, accept ratios because they recognize that they're reaching out to these individuals on like a one-to-one -one basis. It's not a, a, a giant pitch that's very heavily templatized. And it's warm outreach because everyone that's in our network actually signed up to be in the network. Uh, I use a lot of uh, cold outreach services like uh, Ninja Outreach that I like a lot. Um, this just gave us a, a little bit extra where these people were uh, were looking to sign up. So links links were a good you know point of that. Um, and then you know there's economics. Economics was a big reason because you know the the twenty percent charge on everything kind of pissed me off. You know, and it wasn't just twenty percent. They're only working with celebrities. So if I wanted to connect with real people that maybe had smaller sizes, you know, like micro-influencers, I couldn't do it. And, and that's where creating this network really came into play. Um, I was able to, to cater to brands that might need, you know, smaller audience sizes due to budgetary considerations. Like not everyone can drop 100K to get Ken Kardashian. And even then that doesn't even pay for her anymore. Now it's like at least a half a million for a post. It's, it's kind of crazy. But I was able to, in addition to focusing on some of the smaller people, I could focus on relevancy as well and grow kind of uh, broad uh, versus just deep in one particular area. And I guess hey, the Jeff. final reason, yes, sir. So, Good. Uh, you, just gave, you just gave me a good idea for a question here. So you, when we're talking about one-to-one, -one, 
and then a one-to-many kind of um, opportunity. Can you kind of go a little bit deeper into that of what are some of the, the hurdles that you had to, to, to overcome in a sense from that one-to-one from example, like a Kim Kardashian post to a one-to-many where you don't have just one resource that you're pulling or you're pushing to, but you're pushing to several different resources or pulling from several different resources. Absolutely. So I'd say one of the biggest differences I notice is when you're marketing towards a specific individual, you'll find that you'll you'll have the tendency to get more detailed on their specific background. That's one of the easiest things in, in sales is to provide additional detail to show that you're at least aware of who they are. Um, the, the problem with the, the one-to-many approach is sometimes you have to be so broad, you have to be so generic, that it ends up coming off as just a non-value add. Um, mm-hmm. That's not to say that you can't do a one-to-many in a good way. Um, one of the things that we offer is uh, filtering. So if if you're able to say, okay, you know what? I'm only going to target people in Chicago. I'm only going to target Instagrammers in Chicago. I'm only going to target Instagrammers in Chicago that have an interest in home and garden as a category. I could still put together uh, a good pitch template that's specific to those individuals because of the filters that I set. And I mean, we can go real deep on pitching. It's probably the, the, the biggest mistake I see anyone making in marketing when it comes to either cold or warm outreach. Um, but uh, that, that's how you get past the one-to-one versus the one-to-millions and kind of narrowing it down. I would rather do um, a whole bunch of one-to-hundred approaches that adds up to 10,000 people versus one, just the 10,000, if I don't know much about them. Uh, the accept rate is higher. The, the response and engagement just tends to be higher. Um, would you, I guess, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Um, would you say that, um, from that one to a hundred, you know, kind of reach out that you are do almost doing some micro testing, almost like you would do an AdWords or you're doing a keyword search almost where you're taking that approach of saying, well, this many people in the U S are searching for this word, but how about many, this many people in this city are searching for this word. And then just adding up the cities. Yes. I mean, uh, to a degree, I mean, you, you, you're able to do a whole bunch of the A-B testing anyways. But I mean, I find like um, I do my pitches and iterations as well. So maybe it's like the 100 batch. And during my postmortem, I say, okay, well, what, what worked? What didn't? You know, did, did these people respond and just not accept? Did these people respond and accept? Did these people not even respond at all? And then you kind of go back to, you know, you know was uh, was the title and the subject captivating? Was the the initial couple sentences captivating? Whatever it might be. So that is an, another one of those benefits, like you mentioned, of the 100, where by focusing on the small batches, you're not blowing uh, the entire load right away. You're able to say, okay, well, if that failed, I'm able to go and try again on a different 100. And if that's successful, I can always still go back to that initial 100 uh, with a customized follow-up. Interesting. So for everybody out there, don't blast it out to 10,000 people and expect, <laughs> expect miracles to happen. <laughs> you know, it, it also speaks to another thing too. Like if, if you're going and you're blasting out to a very large number, how much research did you really do about what you're doing? And who, 
I, I have significant doubts that um, enough research has been done on the buyer persona that you're looking to reach. So if, if, if you're blasting at a huge number, that probably means you don't really know who your end buyer is because mm-hmm. you're, you're just, you're shotgunning it versus sniper rifle. Exactly. You're not narrowing down. Like I did this for the podcast. I narrowed down the list of how many people I were connected with. I narrowed down, you know, people who were director level or level titles and then what they were interested in marketing sales, you know, based on their titles. And then I would send it out. And out of like, 20 to 30,000 people that I sent it out to, I mean, I probably got less than 250 unsubscribes just based on the people who are anal about privacy. Or they're like, well, you connected me on LinkedIn, but I'm, the thing was, I wasn't offering them, you know, I wasn't asking them for them to buy something. I was saying, hey, listen to this podcast, or would you like to be a speaker? And I think that's what people have to understand is that initial ask shouldn't be, you know, an immediate, like, immediate problem, but it should be a teaser to get them to do several different things after that, just to get them warmed up. Right. Yeah. I spammed you on LinkedIn and you twisted it in a way to get another speaker. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's what I do. So, oh yeah. So I think you were, you were talking about IntelliFluence and then you're also, um, when you spammed me. <laughs> and then I also did some uh, diving in with your agency. I think a lot of people want to know, like if you are with a company and you're starting out with a SaaS product that you see that your, your agency um, needs, h- how do you manage that, that balance of that work? It's not easy. I mean, just throwing that right out there. It's really time consuming. So I try my best to make it 50-50 in terms of split. In some weeks, you know, it'll go heavier towards agencies just because of, you know, typical agency deadline and fires. And sometimes, like right now, it's a lot heavier on IntelliFluence because of like a redesign push. Um, you know, I also try to be really honest, too, and upfront. Uh, all my agency clients know that I have IntelliFluence, and they're also aware that because of who I am in the industry, I don't need to go and hunt uh, consulting clients. They you know, they come in, we, we determine whether or not we're going to work with them. I also let them know, hey, I will work with you so that I could fund the development of this other company I'm doing. And I haven't had any issues with that. Um, the, the difficulties uh, that pop up come all down to process control, I think. I'm a big fan of, of creating like multiple lists. So I'll, uh, I don't think we've ever talked about this, but I'll create a big uh, blue sky list, you know, things, anything under the sun that I could be working on. And then I'll segment it down into um, activities that are going to increase revenue, another list for activities that are going to decrease cost, and a list of things that don't neatly fall into either side. And then I try to assign uh, specific uh, dollar amounts to these as well as uh, time and resources needs in order to get them done. So I have a uh, a rough understanding of what the outcome might be, what the investment required is, what the time required is. And I tried to rank them in terms of my ability to knock out top revenue and cost tasks. Well, I do this for both the, the agency as well as IntelliFluence. And I just try every day to be crossing stuff off my task list. It's not quite uh, uh, easy. You know, some, some days are extremely long. I already work... Um, you know, 14 plus hours a day, but uh, some days are really, really long just because 
I'm trying to catch up and, and make sure that I'm not the reason we fall behind. Um, that's so that's def- why when I said le- about yeah. an hour, so that's when I said about an hour to do everything from pre-recording to filling stuff out to a recording, you're like, I'm jumping on this because it's not going to take that much time because we think the same way. We're very process oriented, but I really like you're going a step further saying, okay, what's my bottom line of not how long it will take me to get done, but what will I do to actually make money in the foundation of this and then go into what my task should be. And I think a lot of people forget that whole, like what's bringing in money first versus like, what do I need to get done first? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky bit of business. And it actually took me some years to really figure that out. I mean, uh, I early in my career developing tax software, uh, pretty different from from search and and marketing. Um, You know, I would just show up and like, Oh, what should I be working on today? I had really no idea. And now, you know, every week, I already have a, a really good understanding of what I need to accomplish based on the numbers. Uh, they're, they're my own metrics. Now, there's there's fantastic tools out there to manage all that. But uh, frankly, pen and paper really hasn't done me wrong. Yeah, well, I agree with you. I use, uh, shout out to Trello. I use them because I tried different, you know, different things. And I tried pen and paper too. Love it. But the Trello was just my option to go up from a phone and just do it and then um, in, uh, incorporate um, Kanban and just do okay. it that way. I'm like, okay, how long does will it take me to get four points done during the day, which is equivalent to eight hours? And I'm like, okay, what are the most important tasks that I need to get done that it will require the most brain power that I'm, I'm awake during the morning versus if I just need to get tasks done during the evening and then also looking at, okay, what will make revenue or what's the most important versus this is a one-off task that I can wait until later to do that. And are you using the Slack integration with Trello? Um, I haven't yet, but I was looking at Corello, which um, actually integrates the Kanban um, stuff. And it shows your um, your your projections of wh- how, how efficient you can be. And that can actually implement into a team. Nice. That's cool. And so, I know Press were using the Trello to Slack. Interesting. I've heard, I heard a lot of good things. I mean, I know a few people, good people that um, that's how they're building their whole um, operation system, the startup company here in Indy, um, Indianapolis, <laughs> and uh, they use Trello. And a lot of people are like, well, I use Jira, but, you know, marketers use Trello, um, developers use Jira. But the thing is, is that Adolescent is the one that has them both and bought them both. So there's going to be some segue in between those two eventually. Yeah, I, I, just, I mean, I love what Adolescent's done. I mean, they, yeah. it, they're such an unknown company that is worth billions of dollars. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's the same thing with, you know, Adolescent or SendGrid. Like, SendGrid doesn't hire marketers. They literally say that we do not hire, you know, you know, a bunch of marketers because it basically sells itself. Or we give training courses and then people fall in love with it. And then the product itself is easy to navigate. So yeah. they're like, why do, why do we need to put extra effort towards it? So, I mean, that kind of segues into, you know, now with influencer marketing, you know, what do you see on the horizon? Is there going to be, is there going to, is there, um, you know, a learning curve for a lot of people in order to put more work into, in order to be better influencer marketing? Or have you already seen a trend where people are, are getting better at it already? Uh, I, I see that there's already a trend where people are getting better, but there's also a lot of room for education. 
Um, I ended up writing two pretty deep guides. One was on using influencer marketing and one was on, you know, an individual that wants to become the best that they could possibly be as an influencer. And it's uh, just about ready to be published on Amazon. I think we're a couple weeks away from that. So hopefully I, I can encapsulate a little bit of that educational market. But um, there's, there's a big rush towards it. I'd say like whenever something gets hot, it becomes its own worst enemy. You know, like there was, there was so much buzz around inbound for a while. There was so much buzz around content marketing that sometimes, uh, you know, hucksters and scam artists kind of pop up and uh, can fleece people. So I think there's going to be some, some education that comes, uh, I guess, negative education that occurs uh, to help people uh, move into the right direction. Uh, beyond that, though, I mean, I think the tools are evolving pretty nicely. I think a lot of the cold outreach tools are going to move more into warm somehow. Not all of them. Some are going to make the, the conscious decision not to. And I think a lot of the warm outreach network agency type stuff, um, they're going to start uh, uh, combining. I mean, I think the power is in the size of the network. I think it goes back to um, uh, Metcalf. Uh, so uh, M-E-T-C-A-L-F-E, going back to com computer network classes. I think it was the the power of the network is like the the square of its number of its members. And that's really true of a platform where we have like 30,000 people right now. Uh, by the end of the year, I want 100,000. After two years from now, I want 10 million. So, I mean, I, I recognize that a lot of the smaller networks are going to end up merging or get acquired. or We see a lot of churn. So there's going to be people that just decide this wasn't really what I wanted to do and they fall out of the market. So we're, we're going to see a big move in terms of the evolution of the industry itself. We're also going to see, though, that influencers, they're not going to go away. And as more ad restrictions keep getting clamped down by, by the likes of the, the big players in the market, aka you know Google and others, uh, we're probably going to see uh, individuals recognizing the worth of their audience. So we're going to see them driving the supply which inadvertently will end up driving demand and demand back to supply again. So hopefully it creates this virtuous cycle uh, by which um, the, the industry is a, itself can be healthy and, and grow. So you just hit on a point that I read an article just the other day about how Google Pixel and Pixel 2 were trying to compete with uh, the Apple X and the Apple 8. And um, they only had like 2 to 3% of the market share while the Apple X and like Samsung, like Samsung had like 21% or something like that. And Apple had like 14%. And the interesting thing was, is that they said Apple has so much better products, you know, better camera, better storage, all of this kind of stuff. But the thing that they forget is that that's, that's great for the product, but is that great to build an influencing community around that? And that's what Apple has done. And so it was just interesting to me is how, how is Google going to do that? Because they failed with Google Plus. So Thankfully. how, yeah, <laughs> how, and how are they going to, you know, what's, what's the next connection? You know, what's the next thing for Google to dive into that space? Are they going to acquire a company? They're going to build it outright? Yeah, I mean, so they bought HTC. And um, it's going to be interesting because we're going to find out, you know, what does Samsung do now? Because uh, Samsung just had their one of their chief competitors purchased by a vendor. And Samsung can't go to Apple 
BlackBerry's basically dead, and it looks like uh, Microsoft just shuttered, you know, uh, Windows Phone completely. So uh, there, there's a lot of turbulence in that mobile market. I'm not sure how it's going to play out. Exactly, and especially in the mobile marketing itself. I mean, there's a lot of people that are still trying to figure out how to um, advertise and how to, you know, get into mobile app advertising. And um, I mean, I think right there is uh, people are talking about influencer marketing and advocate marketing. Um, not only having influencers talking about it, but having advocates talking about it too. But then, I mean, we can go into into the weeds <laughs> with oh, the mobile absolutely. ads and that kind of stuff. And I mean, I've got um, a good amount of experience with that too. But um, I think I think this is a good segue to move on to the next um, thing that a lot of people don't don't know about you, and that um, I asked you a specific question, and I think it, it shined light that um, I mean what you're doing for uh, IntelliFluence and digital uh, heretic is, is freaking awesome. Like you are, you're finding a way to balance something, but you're also finding a way to build a product that um, is in the early stages and there's a need for it. But um, I think uh, you, you speak very well to the point where you're talking about your writing. So you're, you're building a SaaS product, you're an SEO person, but you're also a writer too. Can you like expound on, you know, what, who you've written for, what have you written about? How does that kind of, you know, link back to what you're doing with IntelliFluence? Sure. So a lot of my writing, again, would always tend to come out of necessity. So uh, because most of my career has been in search, I would typically write uh, uh, under the nom de plume of uh, Cygnus, which is a... Uh, uh, a Greek mythological figure that turns into a swan in the stars. Uh, if you go by uh, astronomical terms, the, the reason I would write was usually something would irritate me. So uh, it would be something along the lines of writing for Aaron wall, because people claimed that negative SEO didn't work. And, and unfortunately I had made uh, the mistake of showing people how easily negative SEO did work and ended up completely torching the, the payday industry on accident. That was not pleasant. Um, I would end up writing for, you know, Inc., Forbes, Fortune, that sort of thing, uh, usually for, uh, for friends, but also for the benefit of having links. Uh, the majority of what I would do would be for links. When I decided to write for IntelliFluence, uh, the reason I did so was was marketing related, but I also uh, I do have this educational drive. My wife is a teacher; she has her master's in education. Very familiar with the with, with teaching as a profession, and so I sat down. I was like, okay, well, what what are the things that I really want to be able to convey? And I, again, I went to the task lists, and I, I developed out a rough outline of the general topics, and then from the topics came down to articles. Once I had articles, slapped it together in a guide and was like, hey, now I could do the same thing for becoming an influencer. Did that and all of a sudden I realized I had a book. Uh, so, I mean, that's it, it, it. I didn't set out to write the book. I set out to really do the educational blog posts, but I was pleased enough with the outcome of them that I decided that it would probably make sense to have as a book. And, and again, you know, it, it all goes back to social proof and marketing uh, just by the virtue of having a book. Whether it's good or not, uh, I, I do find that some prospects uh, approach you slightly differently in terms of uh, 
evaluating your potential expertise. So, I mean, I'm just playing on uh, various psychological triggers to increase my close rate. Interesting. So besides books, I mean, writing books, reading books, balancing, working 14 hours a day. Uh, there was one more question I asked about a lot of people don't see that, you know, they see how many hours you say you put in, they see the work that is putting put out, you know, they're listening to our podcast with, you know, talking about IntelliFluence, you know, you're very knowledgeable, you're building a, a SaaS product. But how do you keep, you know, how do you focus on health? I know you mentioned eating nachos, we're going to quickly skip that one. <laughs> but I mean, I, I believe too, I mean, we both believe in a very having at least somewhat of a healthy lifestyle exercise, whatever it may be. Um, can you kind of share, you know, your experience kind of with that and then what you do to kind of, you know, balance it? Cause you can, you can burn out easily if you don't, oh, you know, yes. can't balance, balance that out. Oh, I, I did burn out. I burned out, um, in late 2012, early 2013 because of the last failure, because I, I internally, I internalized so much of it that I was unable to, uh, separate myself from my business success or failures. Uh, so I, I took a kind of an extreme route where I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to hack my brain chemistry and you know, did the 5-HTP, L-dopamine, you know, the, the, the precursors to uh, uh, a healthy functioning brain chemistry. But then, you know, I, I am a former uh, competitive swimmer. You wouldn't know it by looking at me. But I said, okay, I need to have a lot more cardio in my life just because I have a tendency to eat everything in front of me. So I, I got the treadmill desk. And when I got a treadmill desk, I decided to set a big, hairy, audacious goal of I'm going to walk from Phoenix to Munich in time for the next Oktoberfest. And I walked uh, way too much. My feet were, were wrecked where I want to say a couple months into it, I had uh, plantar fasciitis in both feet. I was hobbling along trying to get to three, five miles a day just to try to keep the momentum going. I was documented it all and showing like how far across the Atlantic I made it. I ended up not making it all the way to Munich within a year. It's a, it's a very long way to walk apparently. But, uh, <laughs> it, it, but from that though, I kept the, the overall practice where now I don't try to walk nearly as fast for as many hours a day. I'll walk roughly six hours a day uh, just at one mile an hour and it doesn't interfere with typing at all. I'm, I'm, I'm good to talk on the phone. Uh, it actually helps me think I'm a, I'm somewhat of a kinesthetic thinker so that I was able to satisfy a little bit of cardio and I, I do like strength. So I do powerlifting and you know, I, I'm too fat to be a bodybuilder, probably too weak to be a, a serious strength man. So I do some powerlifting. Uh, the problem there is powerlifting has a tendency to get, to create a muscle bound situations. So I took up yoga as well. So I'm able to get uh, flexibility and depth and then take advantage of that flexibility and depth with powerlifting and then eat a whole bunch and then hopefully walk it off. There you go. <laughs> but I mean, you, you've, you understood something from what, what, you know, during the penguin time that you need to at Google, you know, that you needed to change something in your life and oh, to balance things. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. So um, I hope everybody enjoyed uh, listening to Joe here talking about IntelliFluence, uh, his background, um, his uh, eating nachos, uh, powerlifting yoga. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, thank you, Joe, for being on here. I really appreciate it. Um, hope we can do another one. 
And um, everybody, uh, enjoy a little coffee today. 